Network. Connected. MIDI session. Running. MIDI show control. Confirmed. DMX interface. Connected. Light control. Confirmed. Ethernet. Active. Audio interface. Active and engaged. Arduino unit. In range. Bluetooth remote pair. Connected. OSC IP. Active. We're ready. Start the queue. It's the show about control. Featuring Andy Dolph, Joshua Langman, Dave Mickey, and Mark Neiser. It's the queue. Hey, everybody. It's our first episode. Woohoo! I'm Mark Neiser. Hi, guys. I'm Josh Langman. Hi, I'm Dave Mickey. And I'm Andy Dahl. This is our first episode, and uh, what are we about? Show control. Toys that we like to play with and build. Yeah. Why don't we start off by introducing ourselves and let people know who we are and uh, what we do. Andy, why don't you start since you're A in the alphabet. My background originally is in sound design for the theater. Uh, and I do event production for the University of New Hampshire, which is sort of corporate event stuff, but in-house for the university. And I do large-scale projection designs for classical music. Very cool. Very cool. We'll want to hear all about that. Yeah. must be very tough to mic all that stuff, except for the the big drum, right? You don't have to. And how did you end up uh, finding out about QLab? I would guess it was probably on the Theater Sound email list. But I don't know, because it was so long ago. And Josh, why don't you say hi? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Josh Langman. Uh, I do uh, all sorts of things in the theater. I do uh, sound, lighting, projection design. Uh, I direct. Uh, I'm occasionally on stage. Uh, I've just uh, graduated recently from Sarah Lawrence College, uh, where I did a lot of theater outreach. And I'm a show control geek. Uh, which is how I ended up on here, and uh, I'm glad to be here. I do see you post to the forums a lot, as all you guys do. And Josh, how did you discover QLab? Uh, I discovered QLab uh, in my freshman year of college. Um, I had done a lot of lighting design in high school, and uh, I'd sort of thought about doing some sound design as well, but it was, you know, it didn't really appeal to me because. Uh, we didn't have the right tools and I was always sort of, you know, how do you program things? And it's like, if you want to, you know, play a couple different files at once, what do you, you have like two or three CD players or two computers and it's, you know, uh, and it was, so, you know, I, I gave it a shot and kind of gave, gave up on it. And I was like, sound design is, you know, you can't really do anything. Um, (laughs) and, or, you know, if you mix some kind of complicated track that was sort of timed to things on stage, then the actors had to always be following you which is backwards of how you want it to work, but there was there wasn't right. a good there was no way for you you the designer to be able to follow the actors. Uh, and first semester at college, I thought, oh, I'll take a lighting design class. For whatever reason, uh, it didn't work out or it wasn't available, and I ended up saying, okay, well, there's sound design, so I'll give that a shot. Um, very first class. Uh, the professor, who's uh, Jill DeBoff, she's a New York City designer. She does a lot of work at Lincoln Center and elsewhere. Uh, first class, she said, uh, here are the tools that we're going to learn, and this is QLab. And by the end of the class period, I had downloaded this thing onto my laptop, and I was like making it make noise, and I was like, it's doing stuff. And everyone was like, shut up, make it, you're, you're, shut up, Josh. And I was like, oh, it's making sense. And like, by the end of the day, I just like taken it home and basically taught myself the program because I was like, oh, it just, you know, it made so much sense. It's like, oh, it's like a light board, but for sound. And you can, you know, you can actually record things and you can program and, you know, so that, that, and I was tremendously excited and it's still a very important part of everything I do as a designer. Can you imagine a show without QLab? Uh, yes, because I've done them. Uh, <laughs> and uh, sound wise, it's uh, very tricky. It's, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's very limiting. It's, you know, there's, there's the artistry of design and there's the technology of design and the technology isn't everything, you know, Mm -hmm. you can, if all you have is a cassette player or, you know, 20 cassette players, you can make something with it. And, and they're incredible, you know, there were incredible sound designers before QLab, but, uh, you know, the, the ease of it, I mean, it, it lets you sort of stop thinking about the software, which is really nice. You know, it just works. Uh, You can think about what you're designing. Um, Now it does all these fabulous things with video, which I haven't even gotten a chance to use half of them yet on a show. 
uh, I'm doing some projection design coming up, and I'm looking forward to that because it'll be first time I'm using QLab three for projections. But it's just, yeah, you know, the the tools, the tools aren't everything, but the tools do make a difference. Thanks, Andy. That was awesome. Dave, can you give us a little intro of your uh, experience and how you've discovered QLab? I'm mainly a theater sound designer, projection, interactive lighting. Have done shows way too long. Uh, now I currently teach at Cal State Fullerton. I'm head of their sound design and projection design program here. And I've been doing this now for four years. And I discovered QLab in 2005 in grad school and at CalArts. And we're like, ooh, look at this new software. So we started playing with it. And I ended up being the guru at CalArts over QLab, programming everything, beating it up, breaking it, beating it up some more, calling Chris, go help, fixing things. You have Chris's number? Really just, what? Okay, maybe not calling him. Emailing him back and forth <laughs> okay. like right. wee hours of the night. I have a disaster story later with that and Chris emailing me at midnight. Um, and just really breaking things and using Max MSP and tying the two softwares together to make really interesting interactive theater designs where all the triggers were created or inputted through Max MSP or Arduino or Telio back in the day and then going into QLab to manage all the content. I actually shoved a QLab system into a interactive museum piece at the Nixon Library. So it was pretty fun using Arduino Max MSP to trigger all the interactive stuff and then have the content played out. I'm going to want to know a lot more about Max MSP. I've opened it and started to cry a bunch of times. I love Max MSP. It's great because it's a blank slate and you could create anything you could imagine using MIDI, sound, and video. And if you could think of it, you could probably build it. It's just there. It's wonderful. I think the blank slate might be the problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm like, where do I start? There's too many switches. Yeah. Uh, I'm a good at taking something that's been built and then taking it apart and rebuilding it again. Um, well, my experience is um, I discovered QLab freakishly by this guy in New Hampshire who arrogantly thought my control system was uh, not very good. Uh, I'm a, I do a one-man show. I'm a performer. I've been doing it for, like you said, way too long. And uh, I showed up at uh, UNH where I went to college, and uh, Andy was the tech director, I guess. I guess that was your title. And uh, I had a DVD player, an iPad an iPhone, no, I guess a iPod, um, all these RF remote buttons turning on some lights. I literally was like clanking when I walked on, walked on stage. And you, Andy said, hey, Mark, you might want to try this QLab thing. And I was just, I thought it was the stupidest idea ever. It's like, hey, I got it. I pretty much got it. I'm fine. I don't need to, you know, have things talk to each other or be synced. <laughs> and uh, man, a week later, I... I'm not allowed to say QLab at my house. <laughs> my wife will not let me say that word. I literally get, uh, she will not let me say it. Now that I'm doing this <laughs> podcast, she's even, she's freaking out because I might, you know, leave her for QLab. <laughs> but QLab can't kiss yet. I could program it though. I think we could, Max MSP would let us do that, right? We could probably build one, send messages to Arduino. The, that the, the kiss queue is coming in version four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that's going to be a project. We'll have that on the build page on the website. Just go there and we'll download that and uh, send us your lips. We need uh, lip <laughs> patterns. Um, you know, talking about, you know, not letting the technology initially be the show, but taking you off the loop. I'm a, I'm a street performer originally where I walked out on, quote, stage and threw a bag down the cement and did a show with nothing. So I know you can make a show that way, but having those tools, like you said, we have everything at your fingertips and you suddenly can, when you're creating a show in your mind, you don't just think about the trick or the music. You think about the whole package, the lighting, the automation, all these other creative aspects that you never, you never thought you'd have available. So Mark, essentially you are your, your entire production team. You're your own lighting designer, sound designer, projection designer, everything. Everything, right. MIDI, I do a lot of stuff with um, interactive MIDI instruments that i throw and catch and they change the lights and it's a lot of wireless stuff a lot of uh, sensors and bang sensors um, arduinos to drop balls out of the ceiling and um, you uh, you told me about this trick uh when i saw you where uh 
you had everyone the audience hold up their cell phones and you made them all uh all the screens change color in sync to something you were that's right right yeah so it was a metal pipe with a um it's not an arduino but it's an infusion systems um midi sensor it's called a iqbex and um it sends bang information and different stuff wirelessly to the computer and so as i hit this metal stick it's triggering musical notes and lights so each note has its own color and those colors are also being sent to the phones through a uh, shell script to make everyone's on my website and the colors of the phones change in sync to the color changing and it's pretty amazing and how real time it is um and we will have the genius that helped write that on a um, couple weeks, hopefully. That's great. The thing that's been sort of fun for me is to see, you know, as you've come back and done your show at UNH over a period of years, to see how, you know, it sort of at first you were using QLab basically to replace a CD player. Right. And now you're doing all of this crazy interactive stuff that... You know, I know you had talked about doing stuff like that before, but hadn't been able to get the tech to to really do what you wanted it to. Exactly. Imagine when you guys have a person like me show up, aren't you trying to get, you have one lighting person, one sound person, uh, you know, a backstage person, all these people have to communicate through the headsets and try to learn this guy's show on a one-off every time. And I was so frustrated that, you know, when the blackout happens, Two spots would one would come on, one would go off, and the soundboard and the lightboard would black out. Never on, t- never all together. It was always almost a blackout. And and music and lights should be together, and video, right? That should be one system. It, it's so nutty that they're separate. It should. Yeah, I was part of one of those shows many many years ago, and Mark came in with the show, and I remember with the laptop in the booth, and I was at sound and. Uh, our lighting guy and just try and sync everything and calm and i think your battery actually died on your laptop and um it, yeah it, it's always a interesting experience being on the other end the person with the show that comes in one time we just hook it up and go and hope that it's right <laughs> but the the comfort of knowing you have it yeah with show control with show control you don't have to worry about that you eliminate the human error as long as it's stable. I mean, what, one of the, the challenges with show control is that uh, in order to save time later and uh, take some humans out of the loop later, it takes more time during tech to set it up. And Definitely. so, uh, you know, I was uh, talking to Mark about this before. I do a lot of shows where... If, you know, if you're, there may be a lighting designer and a sound designer and a a projection designer and two days of tech, and uh, it takes two days uh, for all the designers to program their own stuff. You know, when when is the show control going to happen? Which I think the the time thing is a big reason why it's not, you know, entirely universal and standard, why you still have a light op and a sound op and a stage manager, because, you know, that, that would take another day of tech to get everybody running off the same computer. Yeah, definitely if you don't have the time beforehand to set it all up and pre-tech it, build everything and then ship it in, which how many shows actually have that time? Right, and and to test it. You know, if I build a show, a new show and don't test it a few times, you never find those little glitches. Exactly. And I've been building one QLab file. I'm on version 562 or something. Wow. And every show... I go back, get in bed, and I redo the show file. I change it in three or four places. I'm like, oh, this would have been so much better here. This conditional button shouldn't have gone off here. I have a a queue, a sub, a light sub, that if I lose a ball while I'm bouncing it in the dark in this UV queue, I lift my leg and it pushes one of the triggers on my uh, little RF remote, my uh, Bluetooth remote, and it'll turn on a light sub, brings the lights up for eight seconds, and then turns them off again. But that only is on when I'm in that one routine. And I mean, that's, it's so amazing to be able to just go, Oh, it's, this will be where I need it when I need it. So I take you use a lot of arming and disarming. Yep. Just for those, uh, that one little magic button that I have for like special, it's a fog button. It's a lighting sub button. Um, it turns my voice into a robot. 
what, how, when, where, why, FAQ the Q, you've got questions, we've got long and detailed technical answers. What is a sysx for? The heck? <laughs> I love sysx. Sex? What? Sex. Oh, that's I, I didn't. Hit, um, it's not explicit on the iTunes sysx. thing, so what's the language, okay? Um, I spent one time many, many days just trying to hack it, analyze it, watching MIDI code, just watching raw hex code, and how can I write my own program with that hex code? And the best one is MIDI time code because it just spits out bits a day. But wait, wh- what is sysx? It's a bunch of hex code information that is a string of data for MIDI. So it's it's a form of MIDI. Well, at least that's what I use it for. But it's more bits than the MIDI Raw cycle. Raw code. It, it was something that basically when they laid out the MIDI spec, they said, "Okay, we're, you know, we're creating this musical in- instrument control platform." And you know, so obviously we need notes and then they created the idea of of patches and continuous controllers to, you know, do things like pitch bends and stuff. But they said, well, but what about anything else somebody might want to control? And so they created in the spec, this concept of a sysx, which is system exclusive. That is essentially a message that can have anything in it. So it allowed manufacturers to define their own protocol that would work within MIDI to do things with their system that MIDI did the MIDI spec didn't otherwise provide for. What would I use it for? A, a projector? That'd be a serial command, probably, right? Yeah, often. But most common, the most common sysx is MIDI show control. MIDI show control is actually a type of specialized sysx message. Oh, really? But yep. then I don't get to use the button in QLab. I have to use the MIDI show button. The MIDI button. Well, you don't. You don't have to. I could do it with SysX. The best one I've seen is a MIDI. What is it? MIDI man, where you send six SysX commands to change all the MIDI patches within the device. That's the only piece of hardware I've ever used it on. Makes me mad. I want to use it. That's my only goal. It's the only reason I did this podcast to find out what it was for. <laughs> That's like our you'd, last episode. You'd rather, you'd rather sit there and write hex strings than... I just want to use uh, all the get buttons. Get a little template you can... <laughs> the only one left. Oh, pick up an R9, put in some triggers. And, oh, uh, is that a drum machine? It, it's kind of like a drum machine, but it's a MIDI device that has eight channels. And then you could tell each channel to trigger any kind of MIDI message huh. off of a con- contact closure. So then you send SysX to it to actually program mm-hmm. it. All right, well, I'll think about that. Yeah, that's what uh, the the most common use of SysX other than MIDI show control is for programming type things. It's like not the kind of stuff that that's mm, typically used like during a show. It's more a way to remotely configure things. So every week we'd love to hear from you guys. Send us your questions and we'll try to hack out the answer for you. If we don't know the answer, we'll look it up or uh, we'll post it at the forums probably and rebroadcast it here my question and this has been baffling me for a really long time is the matrix mixer i i just can't get my brain around the impossible diagonal slots and uh what i'm supposed to do with all those things so the matrix mixer in qlab uh first of all where is it found uh so you have an audio queue or a mic queue uh and in the levels tab of the inspector if you scroll down there is a bunch of text fields, and some of them by default have zeros in them, and some of them are blank. And it's a sort of tabular representation of a normal analog mixer where you have inputs and you have outputs and you assign the inputs to the outputs. And in this case, uh, you're assigning the channels in your audio file to the speakers in your theater. And that's sort of a lie because there are other steps between the matrix mixer and the speakers, but, uh, you know, but, but, but that's basically what's going on there. So down the left-hand side of the matrix mixer are all of the inputs, which are the channels in your audio file. So if it's a stereo file, you have two channels left and right, and you have two rows in the mixer 
If it's a mono file, you have one row. If you're doing something cool with multi-channel audio files, you might have six rows, you know, 10 rows, whatever. Uh, and uh, horizontally along the top are the outputs, uh, which I just think of as the speakers in the space. So, uh, you know, and if, if, if you only have two speakers in your theater, then you only have two outputs. Uh, if you've got eight speakers, then you have eight put, uh, eight outputs. And, uh, what you're doing in the text fields is you're assigning, uh, channels in your audio file to speakers in your theater. So, uh, so a blank text field, uh, this is, this is a little uh, difficult to explain verbally without a, a little diagram here. But, uh, you know, the point where the, uh, the, the, the input represented horizontally and the output represented vertically intersect, uh, you can put in a value. So if it's blank, that input, that channel of your file is not going to that speaker. So if you just have a little two-by-two two matrix and the upper left and lower right uh, text fields have zeros in them, meaning unity, then all of, uh, the left-hand channel in your audio file is going to your left-hand speaker and all of the right-hand channel is going to the right-hand speaker. Uh, if you make those fields blank and put zeros in the other two fields, you've just swapped the orientation of your sound. You've swapped the speakers. And if you put something that's not a zero, like minus 30, you're just putting in uh, a decibel level for how much of that input is going to that output. So the the way that I use this in theater is I almost never just have two speakers. So I might have some mains and I have some surrounds and I have, you know, a prop radio on stage. And uh, it's a way to to tell QLab where you want the sound to come from. So if I just want the sound to come from the prop radio, and that is uh, speaker number seven coming out of my audio interface, uh, I just clear everything in the matrix mixer, except I will stick a zero under output number seven. Like me, I only use two channels, right? I just have my Apogee Duet going out. So I would only use the first two lines with a diagonal zero, zero in one and two? Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you've only got, you know, if you only have two speakers, it's, it's not, you know, what's the, the amount of channels in your file is not, uh, the limiting factor. It's the number of speakers in your theater, basically. And the outputs in your device. Cause I can only output two from here. That's true. And, and the number of outputs in your sound card. Right, because you you can use an external sound card that will add those channels, and that you have to have at least seven for something you're doing like that, right? Right, and uh, I believe QLab supports up to forty eight, so uh, you can get a a big audio interface with forty eight outputs, and you know, and bounce the sound all over the theater. I mean, it's great for doing you know surround sound pans and and making cars you know race by and and from one direction to another and stuff like that. I really uh, want one so bad can't we get a sponsor to give us one so i could just have it i mean the you know the other thing that's worth noting is that you can fade the matrix mixer with a fade cue so even if you only have uh your two speakers you can start you know the sound of your car in your left hand speaker and have a fade cue that fades it into your right hand speaker just by moving around the zeros in the matrix oh cool and you can target a single one of the sliders then with the fade queue? Well, you target the queue and you just, uh, in, in the right. fade queue, you change the matrix to, you know, be whatever you want. I was going to say, here's the bridge version. So each line is one input sending the input channel to multiple outputs. Okay. So each line below that is an output. So if you have a mono mm -hmm. sound on channel one, each point in the matrix could send it to additional output. And you just tell it which outputs. To so why does mine say zero zero for inputs, just below inputs? Because I only have unity. Otherwise, it will be infinity sign, which is all the way out. Or INF. What does unity mean? Uh, full volume. Ah. Unaltered sound wave. I get it. So if I did a plus two in there, it would increase it a little bit. Yep. It makes the sound it wave. It would be louder larger. than, yeah. Okay. Got it. 
All right. All right. I'll, I'll redouble my efforts to look at this thing. I guess the reason I never really get it is I don't have additional outputs. Yeah. Pick up so an audio in. Yeah, I mean, that's out, and you'll be rocking. Yeah. So I should get one of those, and I need to buy a house with 12 rooms or something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, then, you know, the tricky part, it, you know, with, with you being a touring act is then you need to know that the venue has, you know, enough speakers to make that useful. So Right, because I usually just plug into them, and they probably have more speakers, but I, they're going into the board, and since I'm sending them one signal, I never get to really distribute it like that. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, one thing that's maybe worth talking about is that QLab uh, takes, you know, QLab performs a lot of the functions that you would traditionally use a, a mixing console for. Right. So more and more, you can just get rid of the board, you know, and go from QLab uh, through the interface into the amps. And, you know, you can't do a musical that way or something where you need a lot of hands-on mixing. But uh, Interesting. But it works. The fades. I love the idea of moving the, the car sound across it in just real time kind of thing. Yeah, yeah or, or the... Uh, fun little it's kind of a cliche of sound design i think but it's always a fun thing to do is like if you have you know let's say like somebody with a let's let's make it a radio again because that's simple you have like you know an old tinny radio on stage playing a song you can like start it in the tinny radio and then slowly fade it up into the house system uh by using the matrix mixer to you know to direct it to the theater's actual sound system and so you know it gradually kind of it starts in, in this prop cool. and then sort of takes over the whole atmosphere of the theater or vice yeah. versa or you could fake space map it and have like a helicopter fly around the room and circle and then what? engulf it yeah wait wait hold on that's Go one back. of my favorite cues to make <laughs> some kind of flying object fly around a space and you could program it takes a lot of cues but a lot of fake cues but you could do it and a lot of speakers but it's yeah. it, it's not surround in quite the same way as a five one mix for a film, you know that. Right, it's cool. It's way cooler, <laughs> way cooler. <laughs> well, because here's the problem: the the essential problem with five one or any of those sort of surround sound systems is that they're only good if you're in a relatively small area where you're equidistant from the speakers. For it to balance correctly. Right. The sweet yeah, spot. The, the sweet spot. So, you know, as a sound designer, if I want a sound to come from, oh, I'll pick an example of an opera box in a theater. I'm just going to put a speaker in the opera box so that the sound actually comes from there. So I'm going to try to put speakers everywhere that I want a sound to come from. Wow. And then use the matrix mixer to move things around between. Right, and you don't need to approximate it. Like if you've only got you know your your six surround speakers, and it's like oh, but it's you know between, you know it's coming from somewhere between those two speakers there, or it's coming from you know up in the ceiling, and and you don't have a speaker there or whatever. Yeah, I like to pimp my spaces out. I have a black box where we have nine speakers, eight of them going around the space in one dense center. So you could really play with where you're moving your sound around. And using the matrix mixer for that? Yeah. Yep. So you have eight eight rows yeah, that's really fun. of inputs? Uh, nine rows of outputs. Yeah. And the outputs of are outputs. the things going across. The third, the, yeah. Right. Right. Columns. There columns. And not I columns. have 10 yeah. in a default file, but I've never... I guess I could delete them because I only need the two. All right. Well, that was super... Super informative. I can't believe how much I'm learning. I would just like to declare on the podcast so everybody knows I'm the stupid guy. The way I learned everything I know is from hanging out with people like you. I would show up and I just say, hey, man, teach me. And now I know when you're lowering a boom down. I mean, is it called a boom? No, the um, fly pipe. Batten. To uh, say thank you when they're saying pipe coming in. And I learned everything I know from you guys, starting with you, Andy. Good, and good, good. Me good. Down I'm dark ple- side here. pleased to provide and, uh, corruption. I'm in counseling now um. to try to save my marriage. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. Disaster. He died. He, he died in a bizarre gardening accident. You screwed up. That was tragic, really. He exploded on stage. Fix it. it. Review you had on Shark Sandwich, which was merely a two-word review, just a shit sandwich welcome to tales of disaster you screwed up 
you got to fix it, what are you going to do? Tell us your stories. Send them in, and we're going to put them on the air. There's a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Like flash of green light. And that was it. <laughs> My favorite movie. I thought it was real when I saw it. <laughs> the tech director, Bob Caracciola, at the Atlantic City Showboat, took me to his house, and uh, we had some party favors, and then he played that movie for me, Total Straight Face, and I watched it as a documentary. And I, I didn't understand till years later that it was not real. <laughs> yeah, that's how stupid I am. <laughs> My show disaster, which is, I have plenty to last us a few years, but uh, at one venue, I drop in the main movie screen normally for pre-show, kind of to give us a curtain, because I do project video for pre-show, and um, we flew it in. People were sliding some of the equipment around, which I never like to touch anything. So the movie screen's in. They announce my my name. The video starts. Everything's fine. But my computer's right in the first leg. And I have, if you've seen the website, I have nine, every single side of my MacBook Pro, 17 inches being used. Every cable. I have adapters and uh, hubs and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, when the main movie screen comes out, it hooks under the cables under the Mac as it rises up and tears every single cable out of the side of the computer. And it's literally, Mark Neiser! I run on stage and I look over and the computer didn't fall, but every cable was yanked out. And yeah, unbelievable. And yeah, I'm slowly kind of trying to shove a few things back in. I got the sound back in and the Ethernet cable back and uh got a, got the, sort of the roughed it in there but uh yeah it was terrible but you know josh you said to me that it's hard to have a show disaster because q lab is is so stable and i think that's that is really true uh yeah i mean i thought uh i might share am i allowed to uh share a lighting disaster is that allowed? sure it's all disasters because uh yeah, no, it was it was hard to think of. I mean, you know, things have gone wrong on shows with uh, QLab. It is a phenomenally reliable tool. Um, usually, you know, the, a, a person went wrong somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I, uh, you know, deleted uh, an entire show the night before opening, you know, accidentally once, including the backup copy. But, like, that was me. Um, How'd you do that? Uh, okay. Maybe, maybe I will, <laughs> I will go with the QLab story. I, uh, uh, I bundled it over an existing bundle, uh, and then, uh, copied it onto the backup hard drive over the existing bundle. Uh, and, uh, everything was gone because, uh, what I didn't really understand at the time, I was just like, "What you know? Wh- what happened? Uh, if you you know, if you bundle a show, beware with the the same name as a previous bundle and just overwrite it on disk. Uh, the first step of that process is that the operating system has to delete all the media files in the current bundle and then replace them. However, oh. after it's deleted them, then it has nothing to copy, so it replaces oh. it with nothing." So rebundling actually just erases all of your source files Ouch. from the computer. Wow. Uh, so, so yeah, that's happened to me. How'd um, you get the show back up? Uh, I told the stage manager to stall for 10 minutes and, and grabbed the laptop and, and ran out into the hallway and, and pulled everything off of disks and, and stuff and rebuilt it. You know, and then I, I, I hung out in the booth for that run and fix things as we went. Wow. Um, oh, that's so scary. My problem is I'm bouncing a soccer ball on my head the whole time. It's hard for me to even walk yeah, over and yeah. touch anything, you know, especially if something's wrong. I'm like, if I could just look at the screen for half a second, I'd know what's going on. I get about a 30 second window to fix something. But so Andy, you want to hit us with a, a little story? Sure. Um, so my first projection show with QLab was right as QLab 1 first had video. And so there was a lot of stuff at that time that we just didn't know because, you know, we hadn't figured out how to make it work. And um, and it was for um, this 
giant classical piece, the the Armed Man, A Mass for Peace by Carl Jenkins, which is just an uh, amazing piece of music. But to give you an idea of the scale of this, it was it was three channels of video that went to different projectors. And it's a total of about 650 pieces of media in 75 minutes. And um, some of it, some of it video and some of it stills. And, you know, it was all, this was something I was doing as a favor for a friend of mine who's an amazing choir conductor. And so it was all sort of beg, borrow, and steal equipment. And, you know, so I had the whole thing set up in my dining room and it became clear that it was just going to keep crashing. Things were going to, that QLab was going to keep crashing and at unpredictable times. And so our eventual solution was to produce those three channels of video. We ended up running 11 computers. Wow. So there were there were several computers running each video channel, each going into a switcher for that video channel. And so I sat in front with a, with one computer sending MIDI show control commands. And my assistant is sitting behind me surrounded by this assortment of mostly old Macs, and, um, and watching, cause the way it would crash is it, it, it wasn't a, a it wasn't a horrific, ugly crash. It would just freeze. So it would look fine, and then the next cue would happen, and it wouldn't fade. It would just stay stuck. And so he would switch to a computer that did fade and reboot the one that was a problem to be ready for the next Fantastic. time. Uh, it, was, it was crazy. And so during the first performance, we had 23 crashes. um wow it it was just like and what's funny is i didn't even really know what was happening because i mean it was i had something like 300 cues that i actually triggered in 75 minutes so my head is buried in the score for the whole show. I'm basically not able to watch it at all. I'm just trusting Alexander sitting behind me to um, <laughs> make it work and tell me if there was a disaster. And um, so w- what's funny is he called me the next morning and said, I had a thought. What if we put in load cues to force it to preload each piece of media before it ran. And we did a little bit of experimentation, and that solved it. And after adding several hundred load queues, um, the next, you know, for the, the, the next night, it didn't crash at all. Wow. It, the load queue is something new now that you don't have to really do in, in the new version of QLab, right? It's kind of a checkbox if you want to add it. Yeah, yeah. It well, and and that, and in fact, um, that experience is part of why Chris did it that way. Because once I discovered this, I had a conversation with him about it, and it had just never email occurred to him. Right? Email conversation. Yeah, email. Okay, because um, I, I don't, I still don't think he's a real person. Um, he hasn't passed the Turing test in my book. Yeah, it's possible, um, possible, but, um, but yeah, it he, it had never occurred to him in his brain triggering things by MIDI show control is inherently a random access thing. Mm-hmm. So why should when you trigger a cue with MIDI show control? who knows what the next MIDI show control cue is going to be. So why should it auto load the next cue the way it would, if you were pressing the go button. Right. Interesting. And, um, and so, you know, th- things have changed, you know, that yeah. it, it's, it, it's sort of amazing to me, but I, I am pretty, I haven't actually tried it, but I am pretty positive 
that I could run that show, if I reprogrammed it in QLab 3, I'm pretty sure I could run it off of my Retina MacBook Pro alone. No problem. Yeah, just the one, yeah. Rather than... And and probably with, with no autoload. Right. Probably. Right. And yeah, My MacBook Pro can run, you know, I ran nine projectors off it for a video mapping thing I was working on. I did... Um, one set where it was just kind of daisy chained to all these other projectors, but um, so stable. Yeah, it's it's just amazing how things have how things have changed. That you know, f- f- from eleven computers, you know, I mean, it was just it was just insane. Well, I still have a script that um, runs in um, Quick Keys, and it checks the QLabs fine, and so if it ever doesn't talk back to it and say i'm okay it kills it and restarts it which is i don't think it's ever happened but it's still left over from qlab i guess too when i was doing some a lot of apple scripting and would do something stupid and, you know get trapped so so dave can you hit us with a story sure all of mine are during tech i don't think i really had anything major during a run but i'm also never there so i don't know uh my <laughs> first major I guess, disaster, QLab 2, week 2, video. We had, I don't know, a couple thousand cues. We're pausing video frames one frame at a time. So we had, I had, I think, four animators building the content for the show. And we knew it was going to be difficult, so we planned a lot of time in the space to program everything. And as we're trying to pause a video one frame and then play it and then pause it, QLab would crash. We try it again. We program it, run it, it would crash. Keep going. We'd have probably 11 crashes in a minute. About midnight, West Coast time, I receive an email from Chris going, Dave, what are you doing? Because <laughs> he's getting all the error messages. <laughs> he's getting all the error message. We are sending every single one to him. So he probably had 500 error messages in an hour. So I said, we're just trying to pause and play video. Well, it turns out Chris went working on it, sent me a patch the next morning, fixed it. It was rounding to the wrong decimal place. What? So instead of rounding to the ninth, we needed to round to the tenth so it actually pause and play the video wow. correctly. Math. Math, yeah, was my disaster. QLab, Stage Caller, Final Cut, Millimentech, Lift Logic, Twisted Waves, My MIDI Remote, It's time for the Q Review. What do we got, Dave? We have the Go button on iOS devices. So the Go button is a recently acquired program from Figure 53, and it's like QLab for your iOS device. It allows you to Build a show, have fade in, fade out, edit, trim, auto continue all your cues within your iOS device. You could also use remote control. So you could use a Bluetooth device to trigger your sound cues. So it's a great playback device for sound cues only right now. And my favorite feature is on the iPad, it actually allows you to add hotkeys. So you can have your normal timeline show control playback. But then it also gives you additional hotkeys to randomly hit sounds as needed. So I'm actually planning on installing a Go button on our touring musical theater group for their sound playback. And it's a nice little pocket device for show control. So why bring a whole computer when you could do everything now on your iOS device? Is the the hotkeys coming off a Bluetooth keyboard? Is that how you're doing that? You could do on their website, or actually within the app, they have a whole bunch of supported and tested remotes. Right. So you could do hotkeys off of a Bluetooth keyboard, off of a Bluetooth remote. Uh, I believe they're all Bluetooth-related, the controls, at least all the ones I've seen. So they have a couple RF ones in there as well that plug into the little charger thing and have a little RF receiver in there. There you go. Perfect. I did play with this quite a bit, and I was I thought it was pretty cool. It's a great backup for me. Yeah. The only problem is it doesn't play video yet, but do we really right. want our iDevices to play video right now? You can see why QLab is is bigger and better because mm-hmm. you can do like conditional loops, like it, over a certain amount of time goes past, the, my cues will move on right. if I haven't interacted with it. And I had trouble doing that, but 
for the most part, this is a pretty easy replacement for 99% of the performers, you know? Yeah, if you just need straightforward cue-by-cue cue playing sounds, it's absolutely wonderful. But you're right. If you need anything like arming, disarming, conditions, it's – I don't really feel it's the right place because it doesn't – Matrix Mixer because it only has two outputs. <laughs> Matrix Mixer. Right. But for clean playback for mobile shows, suitcase so shows – it's pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, it's probably wonderful for uh, street performers and that kind of thing, uh -oh. where you have, you know, uh, a speaker and and you don't, you know, what are you, what are you going to do with a laptop? But you can just, you know, right. Everyone's using iPhones, but they never, they always have to stop the track right, as yeah. well. You know, this way you can auto do that. The way I got around that is I used to put a forty-five minute silent track between each of my tracks, so I would play the first song in my iPod, it would finish and just. 45 minutes of silence and then i just have to hit the forward button was really my go button to go to the next song um, you couldn't play them out of order and you couldn't resorting them was a nightmare and this way you can literally just uh drag them in a sort order you want for each show and uh, i really liked it the iphone version is pretty nice too it's keep in your pocket and if you ever need it you can just fire it up mentioning street performers though uh, if you look on the website it said who is using go button and it lists the uh, the who's who of variety acts, which is, I'm a, a juggler, I guess, which should be on the list, but uh, magicians, puppeteers, clowns, circus sideshow troops. It's a very specific oh. list. <laughs> they have other things as well, but those are the... You, you sort of wonder if, if those hard. S's are in earnest. Like, are there actually multiple of each of those that, like, <laughs> many circus sideshow troops? <laughs> <laughs> right. It should just say circus sideshow troop. Well, we don't Maybe. know, but <laughs> right, we'll have to find out. There might be we'll, two. We'll... <laughs> well, the clowns one makes me scared because I tried to play like a honk sound and it it wouldn't do it. It just it refused. So it it, it edits clown noises out. Apparently, that's one <laughs> that's of the that, that's good a, that's a about feature. The software. That's yeah. I did pay extra. I had to pay another eighty bucks to eliminate any clowning noises because they're so freaking scary. All right, that, I'm probably going to get... Don't send us email. We, If you do want to send us email, we read everything. It's spam at AOL.com. So please, we love your ideas. Any comments, any kind of feedback would be great. Awesome. Well, thanks, Dave. It's time for the Q Quiz. Each week, we will test our panel of experts and see if they're as smart as they think they are. All right, welcome to the Q Quiz. So these are acronyms, tech acronyms. And I'll uh, start with you, Andy. DMX, what does it stand for? Digital multiplex. Correct. All right, Dave, you're next. What does VGA stand for? Video graphic adapter? I'm not sure, but I know it's terminal. Very, very close. You know, I'm going to give it to you. Video graphics array. That's pretty close. All right, uh, Josh, super easy. HDMI. Ooh, high definition multimedia interface. Easy breezy. Andy, another easy one. MSC. Media show control. I don't think that counts because one of those words is actually still an acronym. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll give that to you. Okay, Dave, here's yours. OSC. OSC. Open sound control. Very good. I did not know that one. Josh, RCA. Ooh. I think you stumped me. Uh, Andy, you want to take a shot? Radio Corporation of America. Wow. All right. Impressive. I'm shocked he got it. All right. Easy easy one, Dave. HTML. Hyperlink or hypertext markup language. Wow. You pulled that out of your butt. Good job. All right. Andy, RSS. Really simple syndication. Very good. This is a, a weird one. Dave, XLR. X for X cannon, R for rubber, and L for latch. That's not what I saw. Yeah, it's from, it's the X connector, R for the rubber band around it to keep it watertight, and L for latch, R for rubber, and X for X cannon connector. Wow, I, I learned something on the podcast I looked up. Uh-oh. <laughs> I saw it as extra long run is what I found. Hmm. I like his better. But I'm, I think your, your sounds better. You, so you talked me out of it. Yeah, me too. All right. So, Andy, back to you. MP3. Uh, MPEG layer one. MPEG one layer three. Dave? MPEG layer three for audio. Very close. Very close. It's actually 
Moving Picture Experts Group Layer 3 Audio. Wow. Isn't that crazy? All right, um, Andy, let's try AIFF. Audio, interf- uh, audio interface file format? Close no. enough. Audio interchange file format. ETC to you, Josh. Oh, electronic theater controls? Dave, VCR. Oh, my God. What's that? Dead technology. Um, video cassette recorder. Very good. Josh, SMPTE? Oh, yes. SMPTE, SMPTE, Society of Motion Picture and Television Engineers. Wow. Incredible. All right. All right. So now we're going to do uh, the tiebreaker. Just whoever rings in first here yells it first is the winner, I guess. NTSC. Never twice, same color. <laughs> no, 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 that wins. Uh, National Television Society of something like that. Pitcher? No, National, National Television Standards Commission. Pretty close, pretty close. It's National Television System Committee. So, yay, committee. These are all winners today. I contacted NTEC asking them what their acronym was for. Presumably uh, entertainment technology. He said truth, justice, and the Australian way. How funny. That's what they came up with. (laughs) So I think it might just be some sort of fun name. Yeah. And and by the way, for those who didn't get the reference, that among video engineers, NDSC is often referred to as meaning never twice same color, because unlike the other two standard definition formats, the color isn't locked in NTSC, so on a PAL or CCAM video system, you don't have a tint knob. Nice. Right. Interesting. Whereas on an NTSC, you can screw the colors up to your heart's content. It, it is really very difficult to get correctly calibrated NTSC. Not that it matters anymore, thank goodness. Well, good job, everybody, on the quiz. You guys each win um, a Three Musketeers bar. Sweet. I'll be delivering to you personally. Um, Yep, they're without gluten. They're gluten-free ones. Oh, so. I'm still waiting for the jumpsuit. <laughs> you didn't get that? I'm wearing mine right now. Oh, it's yeah, amazing. No. I promised the entire cast they'd have. We'd all have matching onesies <laughs> we could wear while we record. So I'll check on the. I'll get you those uh, tracking numbers shortly. So I'm just going to take us out of here with a quote. Uh, this is something I found online. Uh, the number one benefit of information technology is that it empowers people to do what they want to do. It lets people be creative. It lets people be productive. It lets people learn things they didn't think they could learn before. And so in a sense, it's all about potential. Steve Ballmer. That was great, you guys. I think yeah. we did really good Beautiful. for the first show. And uh, Thank you. You've been listening to The Q. The Q is produced by Active Media Group in association with The Q Show cast. Music for The Q was written and performed by Kyle Swafford. For more information and links to our blog, online tutorials, cast, and videos, please visit theqshow.com. You can contact us at info at theqshow.com. Now go out and make something, and you too can go to 11.